I, I, I don't know where you are in your day, in your week, uh, in your month, in your year. I, I, I don't know. Maybe you're walking in here and it's just so good. And maybe you're walking in here and it's just hard and, and weary and, and tired, right? I, I, I don't know where you're at. It depends on the day you've had, the week, the month, the year. I, I was sitting in the back uh, during the beginning of this gathering and just listening, just sitting and listening to the, the worship team up here leading and, and you guys responding and, and shouting back and forth at one another the wonders of God and it was, it was just good. Wasn't it good? I mean, wasn't that good? Isn't it good to be here? Isn't it good to gather and, and, and to shout to your own soul, to shout to one another's souls, to hear others shouting at you the goodness of God? See, it doesn't matter how you walked in here, weary and tired and burdened or elated and wondrous. It's still good, isn't it? Because when things go really well, we quickly forget that we need God. And then we come and gather and we are reminded that things are going well, but God is still the ultimate end to all of that. And if things are going really badly, then we don't think God is good. And then we come together and we shout at each other and we are reminded that despite what our feelings tell us, God is so good. See, this is exactly what God called us to do. In, in the book of Hebrews, in chapter 12, the author of, uh, chapter 10, the author's, uh, author of Hebrews says, do not neglect gathering together regularly as some are in the habit of doing, but come together and stir each other up, spur each other on toward love and good deeds, right? When we gather together, the, the reason we come here is to celebrate the wonders of who God is, what he's done, and, and what we know of what he's doing for us, and then to be inspired by those very realities, those very truths, so that we would leave here and our lives would be redirected and we would live differently because we have encountered the living God in a communal space together. That's why we gather. So, so this weekend, here at Mosaic Church, we celebrate baptisms. Uh, we do that uh, every, uh, every so often. I'm not quite sure. Six weeks, eight weeks, ten weeks out. We do baptisms fairly regularly here because uh, God is at work transforming people's lives and, and, and having them encounter the beauty of the gospel and engage with Jesus. And then, and then we step into baptism as a public a declaration of those encounters. And when we come to baptism weekends here at Mosaic Church, we hit the pause button on all all the other things we're doing and we focus in on just that because it matters that much because we say we are celebrating baptisms this weekend and that's a big deal that we do that and, and we pause and we stop and we take time to wrestle with those realities. So as we were looking at this weekend and the reality that this is baptism weekend again, uh, we as the teaching team sat around and we were like, okay, wh what is it that that, that God is inviting us to, to stare into again that comes out of the celebration of baptism. And it dawned on us, you know, we should probably ask ourselves uh, fairly regularly when we're celebrating stuff a lot, what exactly is it that we're celebrating when we celebrate baptisms, for example? Because you know the church is famous for this, right? Celebrating things at first and then finally forgetting why we celebrate them and just celebrating them because that's what you do. You know, the church does that all the time. We, we, we say things and we do things and, and then you ask someone, why did you do that? And they're like, I don't know. It's kind of what we do. 
There used to be a reason, but now we just do it. And so when we celebrate baptisms, we ought to ask ourselves, what exactly is it that we're celebrating? I mean, why is it that baptisms is something we wanna pause and go, let's, let's stop here and let's celebrate these. So th- that got us thinking, and as I was thinking about it, I, I, I asked this question uh, for, my, for my own heart and mind, at what point uh, in the actual baptism journey, somebody's being baptized, do we all feel that moment where we're like, yes, that's, oh, yes, and, and the excitement surges, right? I'll tell you when it is. At the very end of a baptism, when somebody's done being baptized, we take them down into the water, we bring them up, and then I always turn them, and I say something to all of you. I do it every time after every baptism. I say, here's such and such, and they have just publicly declared that they know and love Jesus and intend to follow him the rest of their lives. And we all go, oh, yes! Oh, it's beautiful, isn't it? Here's this person that just publicly declared that they know and love Jesus and intend to follow him the rest of their life. And we cheer. Why do we cheer for that? Now, at first you go, well, because they know and love Jesus and are gonna follow him. Yes, now I get that. But what does that really mean? I mean, are we just going, that, that sounds incredible, or do we actually know what that means, that somebody says publicly, I know Jesus, I love Jesus, and I'm gonna follow Jesus. What does that mean? So I thought this weekend we would just stop here, and we would just answer that question, just that question, what does it mean? This is not gonna be profound. You're not gonna walk out going, oh my goodness, I never knew what he, you're probably gonna go, you're kidding me, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 again? Really? Because if you're part of Mosaic Church, that's, we go back there all the time. You're gonna probably go, up. Oh, it's, it's the gospel, but I'll tell you something. Laying in the simplicity of what we're about to enter into is the singular, most profound realities that shape our lives. So though this might not be new information, it is information your heart and mind needs to hear every single day day. So what is it that somebody says, I know and love Jesus and follow him, will follow him the rest of my life? What does that mean? Now we could start in Genesis and work our way through Revelation. We could do that because the answer to that question is starts in Genesis and moves its way through the Old Testament, into the Gospels, into the New Testament, through the book of Acts, into the letters, into Revelation, and we get the full, beautiful picture of what it means to know Jesus, to love Jesus, and to follow Jesus. We could do that, but we, we only have 25 minutes, and so actually less than that. So we can't do that. Genesis to Revelation, not gonna work. We could take the book of Romans, for example. The book of Romans does it in a singular book. It goes from Romans 1 all the way to the end, and it unpacks exactly what it means to know Jesus, to love Jesus, and to follow Jesus. We could do that, but we are doing that, and our current calculations puts us at two and a half years. So we don't have two and a half years tonight to do that. So how on earth do we enter into the scriptures and we find out exactly what this means from the word of God without spending two and a half years doing it? Well, by God's grace, on occasion, he'll just summarize these things in single paragraphs and just go, Here's the whole thing. I mean, everything that's in here, the entire deal, I'm gonna put it in this little paragraph so you have it. So when you've got 25 minutes and you need to be reminded of what it is that makes all this worth celebrating, you can just go to this paragraph. And one of those paragraphs, one of my favorites, is in Ephesians chapter two, verse one through 10. So turn there, would you? Ephesians 
chapter two, verse one through 10, page 1079 of the Bibles that we uh, have as you come in the door, page 1079 or Ephesians chapter two, verse one. So here it is, okay? What is it that someone means when they step into a baptism at Mosaic Church? I know Jesus. What does that mean? Okay, here's what it means. You ready? This is what they mean. And when I say this person knows Jesus, here's what I know that it means. Here, here it is. Chapter two, verse one. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Okay, let's just stop there, because that's a big deal. I think a lot of times when we celebrate stuff, because we're human, and what is most tangible to us is what we can see and touch and feel that goes with our senses, I think we oftentimes, when we see someone step into, for example, baptism, what we are, what we are drawn to, what we connect with, is the visible, tangible display of someone who lived one way for a long time, a period in their life, maybe a day, maybe a week, maybe 10 years, maybe a decade, uh, that's the same 10 years and a decade, maybe, maybe half a century, who knows. And, and now, because they've encountered Jesus, they now see life differently and therefore are behaving differently. So they get in and they say, I, I once lived this way, but now I live this way. And because that is a tangible connection for us, we tend to celebrate that reality of transformation, the external displays of transformation. But according to Ephesians chapter two, the profound nature of what we should be celebrating is not what we see in the external, it is what took place in the internal. You see, when we celebrate baptism, what a person has come to know is not that they were once bad and they are now good. Not that they were once foolish and they are now wise. Not that they once behaved badly and they are now behaving well. It is that they were once dead and they are now alive. They were once dead and they are now alive. You see, we define death and life by the tangible experience we have in our humanity, right? Yep, I'm alive. <sighs> yep, I'm alive. You see, we, we measure physical things and then that determines life or it determines death. But that's not how the scripture defines life and death. As a matter of fact, ironically, the state of our body is an irrelevancy to scripture's definition of life and death, right? It, it really is. Because what God says is, that without the redemptive work of Jesus in your life, you and I have a soul that is dead, dead because of sin. 
And when our soul is dead, we are the recipients of all that comes with that death. We are the children of wrath, the recipients of God's justice, right? And then, because of God's great love, though we were dead in our sin, he makes us alive in Christ. So, the first thing that people know when they step in here, when we say this person knows Jesus, the first thing that that ought to stir in you and I is this, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, they were once dead, and they're alive now, and that's awesome. Can you imagine if, if we brought somebody in here, and last week they died, right? We were all at the memorial. Oh my gosh, super sad, they died. And then the, the next weekend came by, and I said, ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to, intrude, I'd like to tell you, uh, we'd all like to welcome Susie back to church. She was dead last week, and she is alive now because God raised her from the dead this week. How would that go for you? Would you guys go, that's cool, wow. You know, we, we could, they, that's beautiful. Would you do that? Would you be at your workplace on Wednesday? And if someone was saying like, oh my gosh, yeah, it's so sad when people die, and you're like, oh yeah, no, someone died at our church, and then they came back from the dead the next week, and it was cool. Is that what you would do? No, you see, if somebody comes from death to life, that would rock the very, the very foundations of our world, wouldn't it? I mean, you guys wouldn't know what to do with yourselves, and yet, Scripturally, when we celebrate baptism, we are celebrating someone publicly declaring that they were once dead and they now know that they are now alive. That's a big deal. You know what's super cool? They don't only know that they were once dead and they're now alive, but if God simply made our soul alive, that would be enough if he just rescued our soul. But God more than rescues our soul. He says, as a result of being made alive in me, as a result of me making you alive when you were once dead, you will now be the recipient of some things because you're alive, right? And, and here's what we are the recipients of because he has made us alive. If he did not make us alive, we would not be the recipients of what I'm about to read. But since we are made alive, we are the recipients of what I'm about to read. Look at this. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Now look at this. And, and, raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So the first thing that we are told in God's revelation of what it means that we've encountered Jesus and he has become for us the savior is this. Our souls are made alive and because we're alive, we will now spend our future once we leave this planet in a geographical space that is God's presence. We don't know where it is, we don't know how it works, but geographically we will be with God, right? We will be in what the Bible describes as the heavenly realms, seated with Christ. So we are the recipients of God's presence, God's tangible presence, for as far into the future as your mind can conceive and beyond that. Wow, we are the recipients of a future redeemed. Oh wait, wait, that's not where it ends. Take a look, you know this if you've read this passage before. Look at this. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches 
of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. I love this word ages. Don't you love that word? Ages. Do you know when you use a word like that? Think, think about it for a second. When do you use the word ages? The most common space is this one. I haven't seen them in ages. What do we mean by that, ages, right? Because you could just say, I haven't seen them in like seven years, three months, two days, and four hours, right? I mean, there is obviously a span of time that you could calculate. But when we use the word ages, here's what we're trying to say. Ages produces a picture in our mind of an indefinite space of time that feels long, right? So we're saying, we don't really know how long it's been, but it's been very, very, very long, and it is indefinitely ongoing. My, my kids will use the, this idea of ages whenever I say, you know what, we're not going to do that right now. We'll do it another day. And then they go, it's going to be ages before we do it. There is an indefinite span of time that's going to go on for all of eternity before we'll ever realize the promise you just made, Dad. And then I go, well, now that you've said that, it is going to be ages. <laughs> See, this is a beautiful word because it, it leaves us with this picture of an indefinite ongoing span of time. And here's what he says. In the coming ages. What is that? In, in the coming forever. In the coming no end. In the coming ages. He will lavish upon you and I his kindness and grace because he has made us alive. See, when somebody steps into the baptismal pool and they say, I know Jesus what they know is that they are the recipients of a future redeemed, the recipients of grace and kindness lavished upon them for all of eternity into the ages because their soul was made alive by the great love of Christ. And what takes that knowledge and moves that knowledge from simply knowing to loving is this. Listen to this. And this that I've just read is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. Isn't that beautiful? You see, what we come to realize, what those being baptized come to realize is this. I was not capable in any way, shape, or form to solicit this kind of reality from God. I didn't do something, think something, realize something, conclude something that caused me to go, oh, yes, and then God gave me what I needed because I figured it out, right? He says, no, 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 no. This is the gift of God given to you so that no man can boast, so that no man can boast. It is not the result of works because it says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. Now some would say, well, hold on. There is a component in which we are part of this thing because it's by grace through faith. And what do you bring to the table? What do I bring to the table? We bring our faith, right? Which is totally true. We get to participate in our salvation by bringing faith to the table. Do you know where your faith came from? Just out of curiosity. Well, actually, God bothered to tell us in Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of 
your faith. <laughs> so, <laughs> you didn't find your own faith. He gave it to you. So check this out. This is super cool. God, because of his great love for you, makes you alive. But he does want you to participate, so he gives you faith, so that you would exert your faith, so that he can exert his grace, so that he will save your soul and redeem your future. This all is a gift from God, not by work, so that no man may boast. Does you, do you see that? So what happens when we encounter something this extraordinary and then we find out it was the exclusive act of a benevolent God who loves us beyond our wildest imagination? You know what that does in the human heart? It causes us to go, oh my goodness, in view of your mercy and love, what do I do? How do I love you back? See, it is what we were designed to do, to respond to these kinds of things. We know God's grace, God's love, rescuing our soul, redeeming our future, all because of his great love for us by a work of his own that is his gift to us so that we are the recipients of extraordinary things that we do not deserve because he is awesome, right? And then look, look, look what he does next. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So how does, how does Paul end this paragraph? He goes like this. He saved your soul. He redeemed your future. He lavishes upon you his grace and kindness all because he loves you so much despite the fact that you were a child of wrath and a complete sinner. He does all of that and then here's what he does at the end of it. He goes, this world needs lots of redeeming so I am gonna prepare in advance for you some super cool stories to be part of. I'm gonna equip you for them and send you out to live them and here's what Jesus says. If you're gonna follow me, here's what it looks like. Take up your cross like I took mine up. Go redeem stuff. Man, that's awesome. So you know what we get to do the rest of our lives? We get to work at our own sanctification. You get to dig into yourself and see all the junk in there and then let the Spirit of God work with you to undo it, right? He does the work, you participate. And then we get to work to be redemptive in the lives of others, which will cause more junk in us, which will cause us to participate more in our own sanctification. Isn't that awesome? And we spend the rest of our lives through every relationship with every resource and in every circumstance affecting what is our privilege and that is to follow Jesus into the darkness and carry light and life on his behalf to redeem stuff. We get to redeem things. You know what somebody is saying when they get into the pool of baptism? Here's what they're saying. I know all of that now. I have personally encountered that and it is God's gift to me personally. So it's not just a knowledge I have, I'm in love with Jesus. And because I know that and because it's personal and it has affected me and it has transformed me, I now want to live the way Jesus lived on this planet and I want to do it with you all. Because you all know Jesus and apparently you all also love him and you all also want to follow him. So let's follow him together, right? And do you know why they do it publicly? Why they declare it publicly? Do you know why Jesus said to us, when you, when you come to know me, get in the baptismal pool and tell all your friends? Because throughout scripture from Genesis to Revelation, he tells us constantly, if you're gonna follow me, don't do it alone. It's not sustainable, you can't do it. Because in your humanity, Monday happens, and Tuesday, and Wednesday, and Thursday, and Friday, and Saturday. You are in a body of flesh that is against your soul. 
It says we are warring against our flesh. You have an active enemy who is trying to convince you and I that our way is better than God's and we feel it strongly so we believe it often. You have a mind that wonders and forgets that God is good and forgets that God is present and forgets that God is best. You and I have distractions up the wazoo and then we got other human beings who hurt us and then we forget how we're supposed to respond to them so we respond badly and hurt them. Then they forget how to respond to us and they respond badly and hurt us back and we do that a lot. And so Monday through Saturday and even on Sunday, we constantly battle with the realities of life. And then God says this, do not neglect coming together and shouting the gospel to each other because if you forget to do that, you will forget the gospel and when you forget the gospel, you will forget who you are and you will forget who he is. You will forget yourself and you will begin to behave out of unbelief instead of out of belief. And that will lead to foolishness, death and destruction. Does that sound pretty to you? No, it's not pretty. And so we come, we gather up and we declare publicly through worship, through the preaching of the word, through baptisms, through communion, through all sorts of wonderful ways Hey, hey, I follow Jesus and I need your help. Oh, you follow Jesus? Well, you need my help. We need each other's help because here's what we are called to do. Preach the gospel first to who? To yourself. Preach the gospel second to who? To each other here in the church and preach the gospel third to who? The rest of the planet. Don't go preaching it to the rest of the planet when you haven't been preaching it to yourself and you're not preaching it to each other because then it is not good news to you. It's just an obligation you carry into a world to awkwardly present to them to conform them to something they don't want any part of, right? And that's a super weird deal. But when we come together and we see it and we hear it and we encounter it again and we worship together and we see baptisms and we encounter all this gospel stuff and we leave here going, that's right, I remember and it stirs the wonder in us, then it will come right out of us into the world. This is baptisms. This is why we celebrate them. That these people know and love Jesus and will follow him the rest of their lives, spurring us on and inspiring us to do what? Remember that we also know and love Jesus and intend to follow him the rest of our lives. Let us do that well as we remember who we are, who he is, and why we're here. Let's pray. God, so grateful, really so grateful for the beauty that you have displayed through the scriptures of the intricacies and, and complications and and wonder of the gospel through Genesis all the way to Revelation. And, and yet, in literally 10 verses, the simplicity of the gospel. Reminding us that we were dead, you made us alive. Because we're alive, we are the recipients of a future redeemed where your grace and kindness will be lavished upon us for the ages to come. And that while we wait for that fullness leaving this planet, we are not left here to wander around aimlessly, trying to survive the insanity of a world of sin, 
while we wait to realize our redemption, but in fact, we are invited to participate in the very redeeming process on this planet by following you, doing it your way instead of ours, giving ourselves to your kingdom instead of ours, pursuing your ways instead of ours, living for you in our marriages, in our friendships, with our enemies, in our workplaces, in our communities, with our children and our parents, locally and globally, God, that we can live for you. So as we celebrate those who are publicly declaring that they know and love you and intend to follow you the rest of their lives, may we too be stirred up to remember that we know and love you and once also, often also say we want to follow you the rest of our lives. Help this week to look different than it might have because we remember with clarity the beauty and simplicity of the gospel that has shown us that you indeed came to save us, to redeem our future, to restore our purpose, and to give us life, not only in eternity, but now to live fully, carrying light and life into the world. God, thank you for the beauty of the gospel, we pray in Jesus' name.